Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today we begin our new Wednesday evening series on power. In today's sermon entitled The Power of One, we will dive into the Old Testament and learn about characters like Gideon, Samson, and David. And now with part one of the series, here's lead pastor Rex Johnson. Everybody say the power of one. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 through 34. I'm doing the King James 21st edition, 21st century edition. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms. Say amen to that. Wrought righteousness, say amen. amen. Obtained promises. Stopped the mouth of lions. Amen. Quenched the violence of fire. Amen. Escaped the edge of the sword. Amen. Out of weakness they were made strong. Amen. Waxed valiant in battle. Amen. And turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Amen. Nine things that those people did and God could have kept going through the writing of the Apostle Paul. I want to talk to you about the power of one, about the Gideons of the world, the Barracks, the Samsons, the Jephthahs, the Davids. I want to talk to you about them tonight. You know, many times we are overwhelmed by a sense of personal insignificance. I rarely see people that are over the top with absolute awesome significance, and they think there's something on a stick. But I do find a lot of people overwhelmed by a sense of insignificance. We may feel like an expendable commodity sometimes. Many of us sense a complete uselessness, believing I am just one. I'm just an 88-year-old woman. I'm just a youth. I am just one. And what can just one do? I love what Helen Keller said. She said, I'm only one, but still I am one. And I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. A man was visiting his fiancée and heard something outside. And he looked outside and he saw a drunk or a madman driving in the parking lot. And that man had already hit at least eight cars with his car. He damaged them to a point where some of them were undrivable. Yet his car, believe it or not, was not damaged. The power of one came to life to damage everything that it touched in that parking lot. It should be no surprise to us that one person can have so much power for damage. And I'm going to go back in history a little bit, but it seems like only yesterday that the statues of Saddam Hussein came tumbling down in Iraq. Can you say amen to that? Here's one strong-willed, unspeakable, cruel man who terrorized even his own people. One person, the power of one for evil. Look what Martha Stewart did by herself. She built up a kingdom, and then she went down in that same kingdom and spent time in prison. Fourteen years ago, this next month, 
the towers of New York fell by the plan of one man, Osama bin Laden. I could go on and on. One man pulled the trigger and killed President John Kennedy. Another did the same to his brother Robert. Still another, one man pointed his rifle at the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee and took the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. The power, the power of one person for evil is very clear. We are seeing that in America every day. You know that's for a fact. Mass killings, mass homicides, even genocide. People taking out particular folks that they don't like racially. But on the other side of the ledger, there is a power of good that one can achieve also. One man stated it this way, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in one person who is fully and wholly dedicated, consecrated to the Lord himself. Amen. Paul spoke of one man bringing sin into the world. That man's name was Adam. And by the power of one, sin was abolished in Jesus Christ. When one thinks about automobiles and airplanes and phones and lights, these all have a commonality. We think of autos. We think of Henry Ford. We think of phones, Alexander Graham Bell. We think of lights, Thomas Edison. This is not a history class. I'm going to preach in a minute. We think of cotton gin, Eli Whitney. We think of the labor unions, Samuel Gompers. We think of the telegraph, Samuel Morris, the Morse Code. We think of medicine, Hippocrates, the Greek father of medicine. We think of computers, Bill Gates. We think of evangelism, the Apostle Paul. And we think of Calvary, Jesus Christ. Amen. All these people, all these people that I mentioned walked alone. They stood alone many times. They were laughed at. Many times ridiculed, many times mocked, but who is laughing now? Their ideas, their faith was not born in a crowd. They were born alone. Men like William Carey going to India. Men like Nelson Mandela, whom I've just read about a great story, fighting apartheid in South Africa. Men like Desmond Tutu fighting with just the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many like Augustine, hearing a child speak to him about North Africa, becomes a favorite in the hands of God. Men like Martin Luther who put 95 placards on the wall of the Catholic Church that said, the just shall live by faith. Martin Luther King who said, I have a dream. Revival is not born in a rally. I don't care how enthusiastic church gets. Revival is not born in a rally. Commitment is not created in a crowd. I'm not even preaching to the crowd tonight. I'm trying to find one heart that I can connect with and let the word of God find a lodging place in that heart because I want you to start something in your own spirit tonight that says it does not matter what comes against me. It does not matter what I face tomorrow. I am going to be that one that stands for Jesus Christ and does not waver in the end time. I must be that man. Say amen to that, the power of one. God started with one man, Adam. Noah stood alone and built the ark. Abraham, one man, heard from God and left the earth of Chaldees and idolatry to follow God and look for a city whose builder and maker was God. 
Samuel was just a still a lad, but he heard from God when Eli could not in the house of God. Joseph down in Egypt became one man God used to preserve a nation. Moses, one man, led Hebrews, the Hebrews out of Egypt. One little boy gave his lunch and fed a whole bunch. I thought I'd say that. One little girl in 2 Kings chapter 5 gave her testimony and brought healing to a commander of the army of Syria, a man named Naaman. One woman's courage saved a nation. Her name was Esther. One man's act for 120 years saved the world from flood. His name was Noah. Jesus Christ, not only in his oneness with God, but he affected one person at a time so many times. An old quote, but still powerful, says all the armies that have ever marched and all the navies that were ever built and all the parliaments that ever set and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of, of, of man upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Let me say something. Boards are brilliant. Committees are great. Group mind is good. But if anything gets done, somewhere in that group, somewhere on that board, somewhere in that committee, someone stands up by himself. He stands up alone and he says, this is what God wants. This is the direction we need to go. And all of a sudden, everybody gets on board. A preacher said one time that he couldn't minister in a crowd, but, but he could minister in a crowd, but not one-on-one. Let me, say, let me say something. If you can only get anointed in a crowd, you need to check where your anointing is coming from. Inspiration may miss somebody, but the anointing is never wasted and it never misses. I used, to, I used to pastor a small church in Dallas, Texas, and I tried to get preachers that were much bigger than our church so we could think larger. And one man came and preached for our church one time, and I still love him, but I'll never have him preach for me again. I love him. I love him. He's going to heaven, but he don't have a clue what the will of God is in his life. But he came and preached for me, and he said, you know what? I didn't feel any anointing tonight. I didn't feel anything because this church is not large enough to get my energy. He said, when you get about three or 400, call me and I'll come back and we'll tear this place up. I said, when I get three or 400, I won't even know your name. <laughs> Let me tell you something. It's not about getting inspiration from you. It's about being under the anointing of God from above. Amen. And you hear me. There's nothing greater in all the world than to talk one-on-one -on -one and tell somebody about Jesus Christ and tell them that God is on the throne and he can fix their life. Can you get a witness with me to here tonight? Come on, clap your hands all over. I'm going to preach here in a minute. Stay with me. I want to assure you tonight that one man, one woman with God can accomplish amazing things. Some of you sit less than 24 inches from another person here tonight. And did you know if that person needs to be, they can be set free here tonight. Because God's got a one for them blessing tonight. You with me? They can be delivered tonight. They can be healed tonight. They can be filled with the Holy Spirit tonight. If the anointing comes from God. I want you to look at somebody beside you and say, I'm going to watch it if it comes down on you. Come on, tell them. We're going to have church here in a little bit. And we'll watch it if it comes down on you. Anybody need to be healed still? Anybody need to be delivered still? Anybody need a job still? I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost has told me just to go ahead and declare it anytime I get ready. And I'm declaring it right now, not to get you riled up, not to get you excited. I'm declaring it right now. 
Whatever you need from God, clap your hands and rejoice and watch God. Come on, let's just watch God. Just watch God. It's not group therapy, it's individuals in this house. It's the power of one. By one vote, by one vote, the English language is used now instead of German. By one vote, Churchill's vote, England decided they would not surrender to the awesomeness of Adolf Hitler. They decided they would fight. And Parliament found a hero that day and a man named Winston Churchill. You hear me, if you want something from God in your life, it may not come in groups, but if you want it, God's got something for you. I read about a man who was in the desert in Acts chapter 8, and he was reading the book of Isaiah, and there was a great revival going on in Samaria, and God told Philip, I want you to get out of here. I want you to go down to the desert in Gaza, and Philip kind of wanted to say, you know, God, we're doing pretty good here. We're baptizing people. People are getting saved in this town. There's a lot of joy here. He said, I want you to go down to Gaza because there's something I want you to meet there. And he goes to Gaza and he finds a man from Ethiopia who's in a chariot. And he calls, get, gets up in that chariot and he said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, no, not really. And Philip started explaining to him. God took Philip out of a massive revival in Samaria to go down because he said there's power in one. There's power in one. And when that man saw water, he said, who can hinder? Can we be baptized? Can I be baptized? And Philip said, let's baptize you. He baptized him. Do you know now that Ethiopia is one of the greatest Christian nations in Africa right now? Because, not because of revival in Samaria, but because one man got in a chariot with one man and baptized that man in water. And that man went back to his country and turned the whole country upside down. Are you with me? There's power in one. There's power in one. A man in a, in a pastor's friend's church of mine, this pastor called me not long ago. He belonged to a health club and he saw a man struggling to get in the sauna. And after a few minutes of conversation, he asked the man, can I pray for you? And the man said, pray for me. He said, yes, sir. God's going to heal your walk. And the man said, well, I guess so. Ain't nobody else here. I, I, I can't get embarrassed. The man laid hands on him and prayed for him, and he got up and danced out of that sauna. You hear me. God is on the throne. I had a man standing right here Sunday. His name is Rick Hamilton. Was down at the Sheraton downtown many years ago. And when I saw him Sunday, it brought back memories of, of Rick because there was another Rick that he met there at a meeting. And that Rick told this Rick, he said, you know, you've got something that I'd like to have. I feel something coming, emanating out of you. He said, it's the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And they went down in the basement of the Sheraton. And God blessed and touched Rick Linen with his spirit. He filled him with the Holy Ghost in the basement of the Sheraton Hotel. And then they found a, a place, a whirlpool down there. And fully clothed, they got in that whirlpool. And Rick Hamilton baptized Rick Linen in water. Hallelujah! Are you understanding what I'm talking about? There's power. There's power in one. There's power in one. John Wesley wrote 20 miles a day for 40 years, preached over 40,000 sermons, and wrote 400 books. His impact 
An English nobleman traveling through the countryside stopped to ask a peasant, why is it that I can't find a place where I can buy a drink of liquor in this wretched village? And the peasant looked at him and replied, well, you see, my Lord, about a 100 years ago, a man named John Wesley came preaching in these parts, and he turned all the liquor stores into churches. The power of one. You hear me. Some of you are not getting what I'm going at right now, but you got to get this. It does not matter what happens to our society in our world in the end time. I'm trying to put some vitamins of the Holy Ghost in your spirit right now that says whatever comes, when we have to start running with the horseman, instead of running with the footman, we're going to still be able to run because God will give us the power to stand individually against anything in this world. Some people are believing September is going to be some wow stuff going to happen around here. Let it rain. I don't worship the kingdom of this world. I worship the kingdom of another world. And there is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Jeremiah Lanthier in 1857 started a prayer meeting at Wall Street in New York. Put out 20 chairs one night and no one came. Put out 20 chairs the next night. No one came. Put out 20 chairs the third night and one person came. Put out 20 chairs the next night and 10 people came. Put out 20 chairs the next night and they had to get more chairs. The power of one. I want to speak to you tonight. Now here's the thesis of my message tonight. I want to speak to you tonight about a tragic story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. A man that was anointed, Saul, Saul, the first king of Israel, is now rejected. And Samuel came to Jesse's house in verse 6 of chapter 16 and looked on the eldest son of Jesse, a man named Eliab. And he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Now remember, the Bible said all of Jesse's sons were good in battle, not a coward among them. That's a wow factor. Seven boys, eight counting David, were awesome men. God did not reject Eliab because there was a fault or a flaw in him or in his character. Verse 7, God said, look not on his stature. Samuel remembered the last guy, Saul. You're anointed. He was head and shoulders above all the men of Israel. Statue won't do it. If you're not careful... We will put Eliab in the same place as Saul if we don't watch ourselves. Please listen. This is not a put down on the seven sons of Jesse and their character. David was called in from the pasture. Oh, I love this. Verse 12. The Bible said, now he was ruddy and overall of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And God said, arise and anoint him for this is he. Now, God said, don't look on the outward appearance, but David was the best looking one of them all. It's in the Bible. Why would God choose David over Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah? There's a reason God chose David over the others. It may be not what you think. 
God just might be in the house in Jesse's home. And he might be in the house here tonight. God doesn't need the same brands to do something every time. Just one that will believe him. Put it on the screen. Because God doesn't operate by brands. He operates by faith. I'm going to preach now a little bit. I'm going to make some of you angry and some of you happy. I am so tired of brands in the world. There's only one brand that matters. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous runneth into it and are safe. Start believing that he is. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And watch God do something great in your life. Pastor, I come from a Baptist background. Pastor, I come from a Methodist background. Those are great brands. They're great brands, but God doesn't operate by brands. Pastor, I'm a charismatic. That's okay. That's wonderful, but God doesn't operate by brands. Pastor, I'm an old line Pentecostal. That's fine, but God doesn't operate by brands. I'll tell you what he operates by. He always is operated by and he always will. Faith in God. Unless you believe that he is, you will die in your sins. You hear me. Faith in God. God operates on the faith factor. He operates in faith. And if you want something in your life tonight, this week, next month, you need to believe that he is and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I want to build our faith here. I want to build this church's faith. Not the fact that you just come to a particular church and you're in a crowd. I want you to get up every morning and believe that God can do something in your life and in your life and in your life. Somebody help me preach right now. God Almighty. God Almighty wants to do something in your life. I love, I love when you clap. I love when you clap for the word of God. But, but clap and stop sometime at the door. It don't need to stop at the door. You need to go to your house and say, I can have the favor of God on my life just like anybody else can have the favor of God. I didn't do that good, Brother Ross. I didn't do that good. Come on. Come on now. God operates by faith. God have mercy. There's a reason God chose David over the others. There's a basic difference between David and his brothers that had nothing to do with their character. And here it is. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. There went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. Now listen, if you're ever going to be a champion, you're going to have to fight a champion. Let me say it again. If you're ever going to be a champion, you're going to have to fight a champion. How many of you guys watch UFC? God bless you. God forgive you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Have you ever watched Muhammad Ali? I did that. I feel so bad because he is so broken now. He was quite a champion. Now, Goliath, according to history, was nine feet, six inches tall. 
the largest, tallest giant I ever saw. I used to work in a little store in West Texas called Fur Supermarket. I was a stock boy and a sack boy. Was eight six, one foot shorter than Goliath. And he came to the store as a show in a Volkswagen. <laughs> True story. Only he was in the back seat. It was an extended Volkswagen. And there wasn't a front seat. He was chauffeured. And he had a door that opened the whole side of that Volkswagen on the right side. Because I escorted him to the car. Because all I could think about was David and Goliath. And Goliath was one foot taller than him. He must have had a real big Volkswagen to run around in. And Goliath was 9'6". You know where Eliab and Shammah and Abinadab were? They was in Saul's army. Hear this. They were hiding in dens and hiding in caves. Their fear did not come from genetics. Their father or bloodline. But their fear came from their leader. Saul was afraid and he was at least seven feet tall. And so they were afraid. I want to declare to this congregation that I have my personal phobias in my life. I really do. But I want to declare something. I am not afraid of the future. I am not afraid of tomorrow. I sold out to Jesus a long time ago. And I'm not afraid of what the future holds. Because in my mind, it's going to be greater than you could ever imagine in your whole life. Oh, we're going to face some things, but it's going to be the greatest thing you've ever been to in your life. Get ready for a ride of your life in tomorrow's world. You can't tell me. I, I wrote this in my notes. You can't tell me everybody in this church has fear because it's not here. But I will tell you generals are not made in a crowd, but they're made all alone. And medals are pinned on them one at a time, not in clusters. So David is taking corn and bread to his brothers. And David asks a question. What shall be done for the man who kills this giant? Well, three things. No more taxes. You like that? Your house free in Israel. And number three, you get to marry the king's daughter. He said, what would you say? He said that. They said, no taxes, become free and marry the king's daughter. I think number three hooked him. He became a horn. So David goes before Saul. This is so tough. He goes before Saul. He said, I want to fight this giant. <laughs> Little old ruddy-faced guy. I want to fight him. Now, what did David say or do that would cause a responsible king to allow David to fight a giant? What was David's argument that he should be allowed to go fight? Okay, this is a test. There's only one question on this test. What makes you think you're just a lad? That man's been a warrior from his youth. David's answer was simply this. I killed a lion and I killed a bear. But it's deeper than that. I killed a lion and I killed a bear. There's more to this lion and bear story because I researched it. Those lions 
were not raised in Israel. They were raised in Africa. And a male African lion, stem to stern, nose to tail, know how long it was? Nine foot six inches. He killed a bear. Not a normal bear, not a South Carolina bear, not an Arkansas bear, a Louisiana bear, even a Colorado bear, but it was an Asian bear. Equivalent to a North American grizzly or a polar bear. And when he stood up, guess how tall he was? You see why I'm fixing to preach? One of them did this on all fours and the other, when he got mad, stood up. So there was a cross there, one going horizontal, one going vertical. And David said, I whipped one this long and I whipped one this tall. And it doesn't matter how big he is. I've already fought something as big as that. And the Bible said he ran to Goliath. I've I've been studying a little book called The Obstacle is the Way. And I want to tell you something. Some people, when they see giants in their path or lions and bears in their path, they get fearful. They get afraid. But you're going to have to whip some private bears and some private lions in your life if you're ever going to face the champion among the armies of the living God. You hear me. Don't you run when a bear comes after you. Don't you run when a lion comes after you. You stay in the foe, in the fight, because God's going to prepare you for something greater than you could ever imagine in your life because there's power in one. Saul was convinced that David had fought battles equivalent to the one he was about to fight. And had he sent that kid into the battle with that experience on the same level, they would have stoned Saul and branded him a public coward. But David took the battle. They would have stoned Saul, branded him a public coward. David took the battle to the giant. He ran. Everybody say he ran to him. He ran to him. He knew a lion was a lot quicker than that old slow-footed Goliath. He knew a bear had keener vision than that old boy had. Because when a man grows that big, sometimes it affects his vision and he can't see. And David said, why, he ain't nothing. Because he never saw him as a giant. He only saw him as somebody out of covenant with God. And there's nothing out of covenant with God that can destroy somebody that's in covenant with God. Say amen to that. There ain't nothing out of covenant. The devil can't curse what God's blessed. There ain't nothing out of covenant that can take down somebody that's in covenant. Are you with me? God can't send anybody to fight giants that hasn't already fought some bears and lions in their life. You may have to do it yourself for a while, but after a while, God's going to place you out there for the whole army to see. Only takes one person to make a difference. You don't have to have you don't have good church because of good singing, good music, good choirs, good preaching and teaching, but because somebody paid a price. Maybe just one person broke through today. I got some little ladies in this church that pray every day. I got a man that prays every day for this church. And I guarantee they don't stop till they break through. And it doesn't take the whole church of praying, but boy, if the whole church got to praying. Wouldn't it be something awesome? 
If every one of you got up in the morning and said, Lord, bless the church of the living God. Bless it all around the world. Bless it in America. Bless it in Texas. Bless it in Austin. And while you had to stop by CLC and bless us. Don't be, don't be selfish in your prayer, but just start praying that every day. Have a breakthrough in your prayer life. Have a breakthrough in your worship and watch God do something great in your life. David was chosen because he had fought some battles alone and he had won. The power of one. I'm closing. It takes guts to say Jesus. True story of something that happened just a few years ago at the University of, 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 of Southern California, USC. Recently, there was a movie made about this story, but the movie's not quite like the story really happened. There was a professor of philosophy there that was deeply committed to atheism. The primary goal for one required class was to spend the entire semester attempting to prove that God did not exist. There's a movie called God is Not Dead. His students were always afraid to argue with him because of his impeccable logic and because of the way he approached the subject. For 20 years, he had taught this class, and not one had ever had a courage to go against him. Some had argued in class at times, but no one ever really had gone against him. Nobody would go against him because he had a reputation. And at the end of every semester, on the last day, he would say to his class of 300-plus students, Is there anyone here who still believes in God? Please stand up now. In 20 years, nobody had ever stood up against this man. They knew what was going to do next. He would say, because anyone who believes in God is a fool. If God existed, he could stop this piece of chalk and he'd hold it up from hitting the ground and breaking. Just a simple task to prove that he's God and yet he can't do it. And every year he would drop the chalk onto the tile floor of the classroom and it would shatter to dozens of pieces. All the students could do nothing but stop and stare. Most of them were convinced that God could not and did not exist. Certainly a number of Christians had slipped through, but for 20 years they had been too afraid to stand up. A few years ago, the movies made about this boy was a freshman who happened to get enrolled in that class. He was a Christian kid. He had studied the Word, and he had heard the stories about this professor, and he had to take the class because it was one of his required classes for his major, and he was afraid. And for three months that semester, he prayed every morning that he would have the courage to stand up no matter what the professor said or what the class taught or what the class thought about him. Nothing they said or did could ever shatter his faith, he hoped. Finally, the day came. And the professor said, if there's anyone who still believes in God, stand up. And the professor and the class of 300 looked behind them or looked up and were shocked as he stood up in the back of the room by himself. I still believe in God. And the professor shouted at him, you fool. You're a fool. You don't know anything, son. If nothing I have said all semester has convinced you that God does not exist, then you're a fool. If God existed, he could keep this piece of chalk from breaking when it hits the ground. And he proceeded to drop the chalk. But as he did, it slipped out of his fingers and off the, shirt of his, off the cuff of his shirt down to the pleat of his pants and down to his legs and into his cuff there and slipped out of that and rolled off his shoe and just rolled on the ground undisturbed. Sometimes God can work in a piece of chalk. And the professor looked down, was embarrassed and briskly walked out of the lecture hall. 
And the young man who had stood up proceeded to walk to the front of the room and share his faith in Jesus Christ for the next half hour and led many in that class to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The only difference in the movie in that story is that all he did was talk about the existence of God. But the young man that really did it told him that Jesus Christ was the salvation factor of everybody's life. Aren't you glad that there's still some young people in our world? There's still some people that'll stand up and face the whole wide world and say, I still believe in Jesus. I still believe in the old rugged cross. I still believe that Jesus is my Savior. I still believe that he's coming back for us. What a joy. What a joy. Thanks for the movie. One of our former pastors starred in that movie. He had a 15-second shot. I'm teasing. His name was Russ Cripps. They filmed it in Baton Rouge at LSU. But it's a true story. Dr. John Getty, a missionary, went to Anitium, an island in the South Pacific in 1848, and worked there for God for 24 years. On a tablet erected to his memory, these words are inscribed. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians. When he left in 1872, there were no heathens. I want you to do something for me now. This is not emotion. I want you to do something for me. I want you to put your hand on your chest. And I want you to say, I have within me the power. Of one. And I can have a revival in my life. I can pray to God every day in my life. I don't have to just come to church and get pumped up every service. But I can touch the throne of grace in my life. I make a difference in this world. Do you believe that? Yes. Clap your hands and rejoice in the name of the Lord. I'll make a difference. I'll make a difference. Brother Randy, if you'll help me, I did one of the most stupid things years ago I've ever done in my life. I was in a revival. I was just a young man eager to preach the gospel and I was foolish. Had too much zeal and not any wisdom. And every night that I would drive to church from the place that I stayed, I was single. I drove by this, this saloon, this bar. And I would, I would go to church and I would come back by that place at night. And I would see cars just packed at that place. And I, uh, one night I went to the pastor and I said, Pastor, would you do me a favor? Would you go with me down here to this bar? I just feel like going in there and talking to him about Jesus. I've never drank in my life. I'm not putting people down that have had that issue. I've never drank in my life, never tasted it in my life. But my heart goes out to people that need Jesus Christ. And there's more for you than drinking yourself silly at a bar. Jesus is the answer for your life. And I, uh, 
So the pastor went down there, and, and, and we got to the door, and he said, I think I'm going to let you go on in there yourself, son. It was stupid. I'm not bragging about it. It was stupid. Because the way I did it was so stupid, I didn't have any sense. I went in there and I pulled out a chair, put it right in the middle. They were dancing, they were drinking. It was quite a night. And as soon as the music stopped, I stood up and I said, Folks, my name's Rex. And I'm preaching a revival down here at this little Pentecostal church. If anybody would like to come and hear a man preach about Jesus, I'm right down here. And here come the management. I told you it was ignorant. And I still get tickled at it, but I also cry. Because here come the management. And the owner came and he didn't rough me up. I didn't have that kind of spirit. He said, can I talk to you outside? Yes, sir. He said, when he got me, he said, what are you doing, son? I said, sir, I'm just a new preacher. I hadn't preached long. But I want everybody to know Jesus. And I've never, I've never drank. I never have. But I want people to know that there's something better in life than just doing this kind of stuff. When I looked up at him, he had tears in his eyes. He said, son, I used to know the Lord. He said, in fact, I was in a preacher's home. And he named the denomination. It was a Pentecostal faith. And he said, I was once full of the Spirit. But he got to talking about how life had made him disappointed. And he had a business opportunity and he stepped into it. And he said, it's an amazing thing to me. It's so amazing. I never dreamed. He said, I've never dreamed that I would have somebody walk in my bar and tell me that there's something better down the road called Jesus. And then he did something very unique. He hugged me. And I didn't know what to do. I should have laid hands on him and said, God bless him right now and fill him with your spirit. But I'm so glad he didn't call the cops. Can I tell you the rest of the story? He sold that bar. I heard later he sold that bar. That pastor came to me and he said, you know, son, that man sold that bar. He came to church and his family's a part of our church now. The power of one. Now, I'm not asking you to go down to 6th Street tonight. That's, that's, I'm not there. And walk in there and sing a song about Jesus. I'm not asking that. I'm just telling you that on your job, in your schoolhouse, in your neighborhood, you still can make a difference because there's power in one. It's not a rally. It's a revival of one that creates all this that's happening in our world today. Anybody want a revival in your spirit? 
Anybody want a revival in your spirit? Stand to your feet all over the house. You're awesome people. Lift your hands up. Lift your hands up. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.